This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus reward registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. Listeners, uh, here we are. We're recording this on a Sunday morning. And they used to say a week is a long time in politics. A week is a long time in football. We went from the despair of losing uh, last week at uh, Swansea, an apparent spat between the chairman and uh, manager during the week, just with some uh, off-the-cuff comments. And here we are on uh, Sunday celebrating a great day for the Ashton Gate 8. But more importantly than that, a great performance from City uh, they certainly came back with a bang the final score obviously City 2 Borough 1 joining me this morning are uh, Ian and Neil so we've got the uh, voice of reason and the voice of uh, reason uh, as well so two voices of reason um, guys um, your thoughts on yesterday as we normally do just 30 seconds and uh, you first uh, Neil 30 seconds on the yesterday the day as much as the match well, the day was, I thought the club and uh, the people behind it, that organised it, I thought it was fantastic, actually. I thought it was really, really good. I was I was in the Dolman E32 in my usual seat, and obviously I was one of the ones holding up the red card. And even that looked a lot better than a, a few years ago when we tried to do a, an English flag against Cardiff, I think, that it didn't look particularly great. But I've seen the photos of the eight, look really, really good. Um, on the pitch, Perseverance dedication, throwing our bodies on the line. Looked like um, Pearson had got his message across from last week. Yep, absolutely. Ian, your uh, thoughts in a similar brevity, please. Well, the the celebration opening ceremony, the eight-minute um, thing, had Richard Gould written all over it. Uh, not to uh, leave out the contribution made by Neil Palmer uh, and a lot of other people who had played a major part in putting that together, at, at, and let me say, at an absolutely no personal gain for themselves. So well done to all those guys. But that is, if you if you've kept an eye on Somerset and Surrey, uh, you'll you will see with Richard Gould at the helm, you'll see a very quiet, 
uh, improvement behind the scenes. And I think everybody would say that that's already happening. I just hope we can um, hold on to the guy because I think he'd be an absolutely shoo-in, absolute shoo-in for the England cricket job. Uh, on to the game. Positives. Three points, two good goals. Uh, good game in awful conditions because wind scores yeah. a football game more than anything. I'd rather see people play in snow than wind. It was a battling performance and it proves that you don't have to be brilliant to win a game against a good side. But what you do have to do is have an 11, have 11 blokes that are completely committed to the cause. And I thought we had that yesterday. Um, and yeah. we defended okay, let's crosses. Uh, get into the action in a second, uh, Ian. Let's look at the lineups uh, for well, the lineup, uh, Neil. Um, a lot said after the game by uh, the manager. Uh, I don't know whether you listened to Dan Bentley's interview on Radio Bristol afterwards because he said, you know, we know we were bad last week, but it wasn't about lack of effort or attitude. So I thought that was an interesting angle. But uh, what what was the shape of the team as you saw it? Uh, as you saw it, Neil, was it was it four four two or what? Uh, the the mythical shape of the team, Dave. The mythical yeah, shape. Yeah. I think before the game, everybody had about three or four different lineups, didn't they? Mm. Really different formations and everything. Um, I. Th- I think it's they're talking about uh, Williams being in some sort of sweeper type thing, but advanced sweeper. So then he drops back into a three when we're defending and then the fullbacks pull down. Um, but I think going forward, it was sort of a two, one, three, one, two. <laughs> Does that add up? <laughs> was, was, two, it, was, one, it that? Three, was it that? Was it that? I don't know. I don't know, really. I mean, oh, God. It was an unusual, but it, it was effective. It was effective, yeah. in fairness, because I couldn't see Bell. Bell's a forward, isn't he? And when he He's when a he forward, came he's on, left footer, a... I think, as well, isn't he? Yeah. So no. uh, yeah, no, that not. makes sense. Given given when he was cutting in on the on the on the left a few times, that makes sense if he's a left footer. But uh, fair play to him. Sixty five minutes against a very good team for Sam Bell for, on his debut. Foot well, full debut is it? Is it yeah, full I think debut? It was. I think it was. No, Ian, your thoughts on your, Ian, your thoughts on uh, the lineup? Uh, I I did get a tip off on Friday from uh, I'll call it an ex-player that uh, there might be a surprise, uh, and yeah, playing Sam Bell on that right side, right wing back. Obviously, Viner was out and Bents came back in, um, and w- Williams starting. Your thoughts on the shape and the inclusion of Bell out of position, perhaps. It was a diamond midfield. Uh, the formation is two one four one two. Um, <clears throat> it was, uh, I think, a, a shape to counter Middlesbrough, who, who attacked well uh, down the right flank. Uh, Sam Bell's a right footer. You're right; he is a striker. Um, what he has got is pace. It wasn't his full debut because he made his full debut last season. I think he tore his hamstring after 15 minutes. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen again. Um, it, it was it was very interesting. Is it, it uh, obviously the manager sees things in training that we don't. So he might have said, "Well, we need somebody right-footed and quick to play on the right-hand side." Um, who have we got? And then Sam Bell. Sam Bell pops his head up. Now, uh, you know his dad played fullback. I don't know. That's got nothing to do with anything. But and his dad was a left-footer. Uh, but. I thought, I mean, he had a hand in the first goal. He made some good runs forward. I think he, if we're going to talk about full-backs and wing-backs, I think he's more of a full-back than, um, uh, sorry, more of a wing-back than a full-back. 
but under certain circumstances, when you're playing attacking football in a in a, a three five two, you, your wing backs are eighty percent wingers and twenty percent full backs. So um, yeah, it was interesting. Joe Williams was was playing the holding role. Um, didn't really get in the game for I would think the first twenty minutes, but after that he was good. Uh, and I especially love that crossfield pass through our own six yard box after he dribbled onto the line. <laughs> uh, towards the end of the game, I thought that I'd never seen right. that before. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, mind you, if I hadn't come off and somebody added it in, he'd have been uh, another, something else, wouldn't he? But um, yeah, I, I thought, it, like I said, I thought it was a battling performance. Yeah, uh, and and the shape, the shape suited the game. Now, whether you do that again against Coventry, who played this famous box midfield, um, you might need to do something slightly different. Uh, the only thing I would say, um, I was going to look up the yellow card regulations because that's six for Joe Williams in six games. Yeah. So I, Somebody I put a post up on that last night, Ian, somewhere I saw, and it it yeah. doesn't look, because we're past a certain stage of the season, it doesn't look as yeah. bad. I mean, I think, when I say it doesn't look as bad, I think he maybe can get another two or something like that. But if anybody's listening and they know precisely what the risk there is of, um, of, is it, of Joe is getting it 10, a ten, David, I think. I that think was a number I was thinking, but it seemed it seemed a little bit high, to be fair. But uh, but there we go. No, Let's ten, get into well, the, the action. The, so I don't the, want to do... The, uh, hang on, Dave. The five yeah. is a cut-off. And if you get past a certain date, you're allowed to go to 10. And we're yeah. past that certain date. So my guess is the one who said 10 is correct. Yeah. Uh, that's what Neil said, and that's what I read, and I thought, well, that's great, because he'd have to be pretty, uh, well, I'll say unlucky. But well, he's getting, he's getting booked every game, so he's got another he's got another four <laughs> games, hasn't he? Yeah, he's looking to take yeah. Easter off. Let's get into uh, some of the action. Uh, Neil, when uh, um, Middlesbrough, um, were due to fly down to the game, uh, apparently, and, uh, well, at the end of the day, they left on Friday afternoon on coach. They didn't check into their hotel till 10, 30, 11 o'clock on uh, Friday night. And I was just reading Chris Wilder's uh, comments to the BBC. He thought they were a bit uh, slow off the blocks. But certainly to begin with, I thought, you know, are they going to spoil our party? I mean, they came into this on the back of a 13-game unbeaten run. They looked pretty useful overall, but um, we almost um, committed suicide early on with that. Hanno and Masengo uh, back pass. Was that before or after the first goal? I can't remember now. Do you remember that? That was one? after. It was after. That it was. was after. All right. Yeah. It was. Let's get into the first goal then, which came, I mean, it couldn't be a better time, really. The goal on seven minutes, <laughs> celebration a minute later on eight. You know, good approach play. Uh, Neil, do you think, do you think that Semenyo was lucky that when he did the little nudge on the player, he went over the line? Uh, there was no foul there. And what a finish by Andy Vyman, goal number 16 of the season. Certainly shut me up with that finish. Well, I think if it was the second half, the ref probably would have given it because he seemed to have a different interpretation in the second half to the first half with uh, physical contact. But uh, that was a, a welcome to Semenyo moment for uh, Middlesbrough, wasn't it? Thereafter, they were double teaming and treble teaming him. I think they knew that one-on-one, he's a physical challenge and... Uh, mm. That probably sent a message out to Middlesbrough, but really good um, play by Semenyo, obviously, but also Feynman with the run. Yeah. Um, really uh, incisive run that he actually made there and fantastic finish. You know, can't fault either of them, really. No. Ian, your thoughts on that first goal? Again, it was a sort of a sweeping move that's become a feature of our uh, our play, hasn't it? And Andy Vyman, you know, I mean, he's got to 
30-31, and he looks like he's found his shooting boots and not the erratic type of finish. Remember that opening game against Blackpool when he flashed an easy chance wide? I mean, made no mistake with that. It was another good goal, wasn't it, Ian? It's confidence. Um, with, with goal scoring, much of football is confidence. And at the moment, he, he thinks everything he, he puts his foot through is going to go in the back of the net. Terrific goal. Callas, Martin, uh, Callas, Bell, Martin, Semenyo, Vyman, all included. Uh, no, it wasn't a foul by Semenyo. I think it was a, it was a fair challenge. He's, he's dumped the kid on his backside because he's bigger and stronger. Uh, and then he had the intelligence to get his head up um, and pull the ball back for Vyman. And Vyman did something I criticise our strikers for. Um quite often, not getting across the first defender, but he did. And you saw the finish. I mean, no one was going to save that. Uh, and I think the uh, the goalkeeper was surprised with A, how early he took it, and B, how low he got it into the net with the power on it. Um, so it was, a, it was a terrific goal. And it, it showed what we're capable of. And I think with Borough dominating possession, as they did, uh, more yes, so in the second. 63% the overall, yeah. Yeah, and um, lest we forget, my man of the match yesterday uh, would have been Dan Bentley because, I mean, Borough had 21 shots and 10 of them were on target. Now, they weren't as, um, their percentage wasn't as good as ours because we only had six shots, but five of them were on target. But Bentley made at least seven excellent saves. So let's not forget that and, and run away no, with no, ourselves no. because Absolutely. we won the game. 100% right. It 100% was, right and, and, it, and in fairness, you have to say, I think Borough were the best team I've seen in, at Ashton Gate this season. I'll include Bournemouth in that, where we, yeah. we didn't really compete in that game. But, I mean, it, when you take the fact they had 13 corners to our none, um, and uh, the, the, the really interesting stat from yesterday, for me, it, we were talking about the referee, Lee Doughty, who I think is a poor referee. And we seem to be getting a few of them lately. And I, I thought over the last two seasons, the standard of refereeing improved. And um, Earlier this season, referees were seemed to be trying to let the game run more. Uh, but he seemed to apply one standard to some of the challenges by the Middlesbrough players on Semenya and another standard uh, for Semenya's challenges on them, yeah. which meant they got, which meant they got 19 fouls given to them. And we had six in the whole That's game. That's right. You look the same. I mean, it, you, know, you just alluded to the referee and as a thread on OTIB, uh, the referee had a game of two halves. I thought he did let it flow a few times, but then as the game progressed, you know, Middlesbrough, any of our players went near them, they just threw themselves on the ground and got a free kick. That's what you're alluding yeah. to. Game of two halves from the referee, Neil. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they've been I... told by the... Sorry, they've been told by the, the referees associated Premier League or whoever runs these things, decides these things, you know, every challenge isn't a free kick. So stop. When a player just falls over, stop doing that. But he seemed to revert to type in the second half, which, yeah. it, and, and it was very one-sided as well. I mean, I can't believe that, you know, we fouled them three or four times as much as, as, as they fouled us in a game. No, they were canny. Neil, um, the, the the referee, um, you know, he did he did what he did in the second half, but there was no way he was going to disallow our second goal. I mean, what a what a move that was. I mean, Scott did the little dink to Vyman. Vyman, another assist for him, and it was three touches from Semenyo before he finished. And uh, yeah, classy goal, wasn't it? Classy goal. Very classy goal. And uh, and the good thing about it, 
was he didn't try and blast it. No, he, he's he's got this left foot shot on him now that obviously some of us are just like, wow, where has that come from? The way he hits that ball sometimes, and it rebounds off a post and goes almost back to the halfway line, doesn't it? But the uh, he he placed that. He placed that. Whether or not he got a decent contact on it is a bit of a moot point. But I think uh, he placed it in the corner. I mean, for Borough, you know, they've, they've got decent defenders back there. Decent defenders. McNair, ex-Man United, really good. Dijkstra, I thought I had a good game for him that we yeah. were linked with before. They've got decent defenders. I think the one weak link they've got is their keeper, Joe Lumley. Oh, I mean, I remember him from playing when he was playing for QPR. And uh, he lost it over the family penalty a few years ago when we had that late, late penalty down the gate. And then there was a time when he tried to kick it and a phobie scored after he miskicked it. And I and I think, could he have done better with that? I don't know. But, um, yeah, yeah, fantastic technique with him. Post, I mean, what yeah, would have brought the house technique. down? What would have brought the house down on a perfect, uh, a perfect day, you know, um, was when there was another thrilling move and then it was almost like what Semenyo did it wasn't a Rabona but where he flicked that one that went just over the top I mean you know either if he hasn't already caught the attention of the national media and the Premier League uh, scouts I mean that one would have brought the house down wouldn't it I think he uh I think he over elaborated that a little bit I saw him make the run and uh was it the silver crossing from the right De Quite Silva possibly. set it up, but there was four yeah. touches before it went to him. Yeah, it was, it was nice. And, it, and, it, and I saw him make the run from the Dolman. And I thought, well, if they can hit him, we're possibly in here. And then he got there and then he perhaps tried to over-elaborate the finish. Would have been great if it gone. It's one of those, isn't it? If it goes in, fantastic. If it doesn't, mm-hmm. just get a touch, a little touch or whatever on it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, good. he's, he's Ian, one of those. He's... No, Sorry, go on, Dave. Okay, Ian, you, um, um, your thoughts on the second goal and that Semenyo uh, improvised kick of some sort. What did you think of that? Yeah, the reason he did that is the cross was slightly behind him. Either he'd o- overran it, if you will, or the cross was slightly behind him. Uh, so he had no alternative but to do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Semenyo's hot property and we're going to be doing very well to hang on to him. Um well, hang on to the, the, the three, isn't it? We talk about WSM, but it's really HSS, isn't it? That's uh, no sponsorship there, by the way. I think mean, they're a tool eye company. Uh, uh, Hanoa Masengo, Semenyo and Scott. I mean, Ian, we deserve to keep a clean sheet. You've already oh, said Dan wins. Bentley um, was man of the match because he, he did some great saves, didn't put a foot wrong. You know, his distribution, I don't recall him well in it like he uh, used to do, but uh, it was a shame that we conceded that one and and the usual nervous, well, three minutes, I think it was, but d- disappointing to let the goal in the way the goal was scored because it was another cross, if you call a corner a cross. Ian, you first. Well, it, sooner or later, they were going to score a goal like that because we conceded an awful lot of corners. Um, and, uh, you know, across the team, they had a height advantage with Matt Crooks who was a player that I said uh, we should sign in the summer he was available at a cheap price 
goal scorer and midfield player, uh, Giant. And he showed what he can do. I think that's his 10th goal. Uh, from, um, I thought Bentley Bentley did well with the crosses um, on the whole. He certainly did a lot better than um, Max O'Leary did last week. And he obviously doesn't want to get dropped again. But I'd, I'd, I'd take Neil's point. If the goalkeeper's over before the game, Middlesbrough would have won it comfortably. Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, absolutely right. And Neil, um, we talk about WSM and HSS and what have you, but we've got Special K at the back, Callas and Kloss. Yeah, I mean, Callas and Kloss as a central two, they looked pretty impressive yesterday, didn't they? I think in Kloss, you can see the quality, can't you? You yeah. can see he was some player back in the day and why Norwich love him the way that they do. You know, a few years ago before his injuries, you're thinking, yeah, there's a player there. The way he reads the game is exceptional. I mean, he's obviously... There was a few times in the second half where he got drawn out. Connolly came short a few times. He got turned a few times. Uh, left floundering on a couple of tackles. Gave away a few free kicks. And you just thought, you're getting dragged into things that aren't your... Obviously now on you know, your, your your best technique, put it that way. But then he, he went deep again, and I think they, they changed that because he was getting dragged out. But he reads the game so well, doesn't he? And I think there's I think there's a little bit of him as an, as an organiser there. I mean, if he does stay next season, he's got to be future captain material, hasn't he? He's got to be I worth think. a year's contract. He's got to be worth a year's contract. If he, can, if, not- he can stay, if he can stay fit... There's something about him, you know, in, in the half, he's putting his arms around players, you know, some of the young ones saying, don't worry about it. You know, he's 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 a leader, isn't he? He's a leader back there. And I think I think Callas, looking at Callas's body language, he actually appreciates having someone alongside him who yeah. is a leader. Because obviously, with the best will in the world, Callas isn't. I mean, fantastic defender, but likes to focus on his own game and be very quiet and doesn't like organising and everything. So if he stays fit and he gets another year, I can see him being the captain next year. Interesting. Do you endorse that view, Ian? What do you think? I think closer makes the players around him better, and that includes Callas. I mean, have a positive effect on the likes of Jada Silva, Campring, and Young Bell uh, if if he's back there. So I, I echo everything Neil said. If if we can keep him fit, uh, because he is uh, he's under was he thirty four. 34, it's going to be 35 next birthday, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and and uh, we don't know if, if uh, we're going to see Nathan again. My guess would be not. Mm. Um, whilst wishing him all the very best and all the best in the world. Um, but Taylor Moore was uh, the, one of the first ones under the bus and he's up at hearts. Uh, so we'll need to do so, a little bit of fancy dancing around moving out and in centre-backs for next season, depending on what, what formation um, Nigel Pearson wants to play. And that, that's important with your recruitment, because if you're going to play three at the back, you need at least six centre-backs. So yeah, And, yeah. and he says about formations, can... one of his press ma- post-match comments was, you know, it's a, well, I don't, I don't believe in formation. Sometimes it looks like this and sometimes it looks like that. It is what it is. Um, yeah, but... Neil, substitutions. Uh, first one before the um, second and um, decisive goal. 
Campering coming on for, uh, I nearly called him Mickey Bell then, uh, Campering coming on for Bell, who left to uh, a round of applause. And then with 10 minutes to go, obviously with Tuesday in mind, uh, I guess, yeah, um, Williams went off and Cundy yeah, came on. Your, your, your thoughts on the two the two substitutions, yeah? Because I thought Pring, he showed a turn of speed a couple of times. I think, had he been on from the start, and we know he starts puffing after 70 minutes, he, 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 he conserves himself. But I thought both substitutes made, made, not made a difference, but I thought they were effective and well-timed. Would you agree with that? I thought Pring had an exceptional 20 minutes on the pitch. I thought, you know, from my position on the Dolman, right, he was right in front of me. I thought he he bought pace, power, understanding. He was up against Jones, who is a you know tricky, tricky winger, and I think he did it extremely well. Actually, I think he came onto that pitch, and we knew that we needed to, you know, get dig in. I think it was was it one nil when he came on. We hadn't scored our second. Yeah, we? that's right. Yeah, it was one nil. Yeah. And uh, he knew that we were defending there. And I I was really, really impressed with him coming on because, you know, he got dropped after last week, probably quite rightly, because um, he was culpable for the, you know, second goal at the very least. But he came on, looked very, very good. And fair play to the lad, really. You know, the, the way in which we fired people up by being dropped, that we're not having sulkers come on and mopers around and everything. They're, they're fired up and they come on and they make a difference. It's interesting with Cundy now getting a few games now. He's out of contract at the end of the season. I wonder if he's playing his way into a new contract, given completely right what Ian was saying about the centre-backs as well. You know, if we're, if we're having to look for, God knows how many centre-backs in the summer, if you're content with Cundy, that's one less thing that you've got to actually go out and find, isn't it, really? Yeah. And he, yeah, he yeah. was physical. He's a unit. You know, he, he wins a few in the air and he he's something different, isn't he? There's, there is something to him. Yeah. Ian, uh, you've always been advocating Cundy. And I think when we were speaking uh, last night after the game, when you were stuck on a bit of traffic on the M5, um, you thought, as I did, that maybe when he brought Cundy on with 10 to go, he was going to push him up front uh, and take the tiring Chris Martin off. So, like Neil, your comments on the Pring's contribution, Cundy, emergency centre forward maybe, but slotted in for uh, Williams. And I'm guessing that was with Tuesday in mind so that Williams could start the game again on Tuesday. Your thoughts, Ian? Well, you'd, you, you'd hope that was the case. Uh, I mean, my point on, on, on Robbie Cundy is if you look at what he's done since he's been at the club, leaving aside this... He had a bad injury when he came back and he had an operation around the same time as Semenyo. And uh, they've been careful getting him back fit because he is a he is a big lump of a kid. Um, if you're conceding three goals a game, primarily from crosses, um, and you've got a six-foot-four centre-back who won more aerial challenges in League One than anybody else last season then I th- I, all I'm saying is I think he's worth a try. And in the same way we used to use Aidan Flint as um, uh, an emergency centre forward, you know, if we're a goal down with 20 minutes to go, Flint would go forward, we'd bomb the ball in the box and you'd hope to get knockdowns and God knows what from him. Um, he could be used like that. Uh, and he's also reasonable, not brilliant, but he's reasonable on the ground. He's not a donkey. So what I say is before you go out and spend a million quid on uh, or 1.6 million, as was the case 
on Rob Atkinson, it might be worth, or another Rob Atkinson, it might be worth giving the kid a try. Now, yeah. give it, if you give him a try, and he's not, obviously depending on the shape you play, and he's not up to it, but at least then at the end of the season, you can shake hands and off he goes. Yeah, um, but right. he's got a when as soon as we're, I would say mathematically safe. And for me, looking at the table as it is now, that's another couple of wins, six more yeah. points at forty six. That'd be safe. But as soon as you're safe, you can start to integrate integrate him. And he's not old, you know. He's about he's about twenty four. Yeah, well, he's same so, age as, as Cam, same age as Cam Pring. I mean, Neil, yeah. the, you're talking there about Cundy, and obviously we got Rob Atkinson. We're looking at shape and what have you. I mean, next season, if you started with Callas, Kloss, Cundy, and Atkinson, and with Pring having the capability to play in, you know, he's got the height to play there. You almost start thinking, well, you know, that is quite a decent defensive unit. And if you ended up signing somebody like a Dick Steele, who you know, have the experience that Sam Bell didn't portray, even though he had a good game yesterday. The back back end of the team starts to look pretty decent. I mean, what did what did you think yesterday of Chris Martin? Uh, he was some people's man of the match. They thought he was very good back to goal. When we hmm. play at pace, as we do with Martin and Semenyo, and Semenyo is pace from a standing start, as I see it, whereas... Vyman seems to run into the spaces. Martin seems to be a bit lacking in that respect. I mean, do you think, I'm trying to think when Nigel got success at Leicester, he had Vardy. Did he have a big man up front or not? I can't remember. What do you think, Neil? Did he bring in the, um... oh, now you're asking about what's that, 2015? Yeah. News at Leicester? Yeah. Is that the season before 2014, 2015? That's right, 2014, 15. Yeah, but I'm thinking Did he about have the a lower? Did he have I'm Leonardo thinking... a lower? You owe yeah. Am I saying that right? You are. No, he was a big guy, wasn't he? Now you've said it. Yeah, I don't know whether that's under Pearson or not, but yeah, and and then there was uh, when they when they made it up, they bought uh, the Japanese lad, didn't they? Uh, so, oh, now you're asking again. Yeah. Zach. Just say the Japanese lad. That's <laughs> the easiest way to keep it. And yeah, pick us up <laughs> on that. All right, look. But, I think. But I think yeah, I think we've done. I think we've done the game. Let's talk about the Ashton Gate eight celebration. And you know, I thought it was excellently done. And you got to give credit to uh, to Scott. Uh, I know Matt Wives and Patch uh, did a lot behind the scenes as well. Uh, Neil Palmer, I uh, have got uh, the Jeff Merrick book. I I had the pleasure of sitting down with the Jeff for forty minutes at Senior Reds, interviewing him about the book, about his career on Thursday. So I got my uh, fix of, uh, of, of of chatting to the guys. But uh, Ian, we for, for once, Bristol City seemed to get it right in every uh, respect with the Ashton Gate 8 celebration, didn't they, on, on Saturday? Even the rain stayed off for them. Well, for, for Jeff Merritt to say that the last three days have been the best three days of his life, um, bit of a bit of a tear in my, tear in my eye at that point. Um because without them, there is no club. Let's not, be, uh, let's not beat around the bush. Uh, yeah, the celebration, like I said, I had Richard Gould professionalism written all over it. Um, and it just goes to show from um, all those years ago, and, and we were younger people at the time, and I had no idea about profit and loss and balance sheets and business and God, anything else. I just used to go in pay my money on the turnstiles and go in. 
Um, but but yeah, uh, I mean the, the surprising thing when I was on the table with um, Jeff, uh, Trevor Tainton, uh, Jerry Sweeney, and Jansen Derrick. That was Christmas, yeah. And the surprise, yeah. the surprising thing about all of them, well, not surprising, but the surprising thing uh, was humility. There's no edge. There's no ego. There's none of them thinking that they're better than better than anybody else. In fact, um, those guys are, if anything, I'd say a little bit shy. Um, yeah. I was surprised at one thing. I was surprised at was the size of Jeff Merrick, because he played centre back in what's now the Premier League at five foot seven. Yeah. And and he remember talking about one game against a giant centre forward somewhere. Um, and, and from Andy Lockhead, his first game, wasn't it? I think. He, he couldn't, couldn't remember uh, who, who it was, but he heard this sense of force saying, How the hell's this bloke out jumping me? I'm six foot three, he's a midget, um, and this bloke's out jumping me all the time. And it was timing, yeah, uh, he had fantastic timing, and that is a lot of what heading the ball is. I mean, uh, there's some interesting things yesterday. I mean, if you go back to yesterday, I saw Jada Silva winning headers at some point. And he's absolutely fine at heading the ball. He's just a small guy. Yeah, he's. Um, although he's I, I did been, smile. Yeah, I did smile at one time when it was Matt Crooks had pulled out to the right, and Jay Jay Silver was jumping against him, and Matt Crooks is like a foot taller. But <laughs> you know that that was that was a comical that was a comedy moment. But yeah. it just goes to show that that you know you don't have to be eight feet tall to be able to head a ball. No. Um, I mean, it helps. Let's, let's make no bones about it. Matt Crooks wouldn't have scored that goal in the last minute yesterday if he, if he wasn't the height he was. And the delivery wasn't great. Um, no. But it was a great delivery. But, uh, you know, going back to the Ashton, Ashton Gate 8, Jerry Sweeney, probably if I was picking a Bristol City select 11 overall time, Jerry Sweeney would be at right back. Uh, depending on all the formation, uh, complete complete defender. Hard as nails, quick. Yeah. Um, Excellent right foot, best right. I don't know about you, Dave, but the best right back I've ever seen at Bristol City. Bar I would none. agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and in that team as well, you had the best centre half, and Jeff Gary Merrick Collier. Agreed with me. Which you asked Jeff Gary, a question, and he said Collier I, was yeah. a good player. And, and I think they're, I think they were, I, I think they're great guys. And just to let everyone know that, uh, as you know, my uh, our friend Pete Woods, who has did a lot, did a lot of work for the senior Reds and, and worked with the Ashton Gate Eight and the rest of it. Those. Uh, Jeff Merrick is uh, uh, approached him and said, "Look, could we come to another senior Reds dinner, all yeah. of us, because we really enjoyed it." And 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 Pete said, "Well, yeah, not half. Of course you can." Yeah. Um, and and I think it's rekindled a bit of interest in Bristol City uh, for all of them, and I think they're beginning to think that well, actually, they're valued. No, know, I, what, think, what, what I think we, the we are valued. Thing, yeah, I think the touching thing is. Um... Is what David Rogers said that you know, like people, you you think for X number of years in the dark moments, was it really worth it? And then you know they were impressed by the um, HPC. They were impressed by the HPC, and they look at that and they think, well, without us, the club wouldn't have this. You know, and if you look at most of them, most of them are Bristol boys. It was a shame that Jimmy uh, Jimmy Mann couldn't be there. Um, it's not because he didn't want to come. He's quite poorly 
uh, at the moment. He did do a little speech to go with his goal uh, that was shown for the first time uh, the other day. Uh, Julian Marshall didn't play that many games. Peter Aitken, they were still there. But if you look at the bulk of the Ashton Gate uh, eight, you know, they were a feature of uh, the site. I mean, one thing i got to say about Jeff Merrick and any City fan over a certain age will know this. When we signed Norman Hunter, Norman Hunter came in and Jeff showed selflessness by playing at um, left back for pretty much the whole time Norman Hunter was there. And the other thing I didn't realise with Jeff, that uh, the season that City were at their most successful in 78-79, Jeff missed all of that. Unbelievably, City were in the top seven of what is now the Premier League from the end of November through till uh, February. And the partnership at the back there was David Rogers and Norman Hunter. So, and because Collier was out injured as well. And Norman and David Rogers, he doesn't get the credit for what a good player he was. Maybe not as good as his dad 30, 25 years previously, but uh, but there we go. Neil, I, I know you're a little bit, or quite a bit younger than uh, me and younger than Ian. Were you there for the Jimmy, because it, it brought memories flooding back that thanks to Jonathan Pierce's dad, there's a whole load of Bristol City stuff. I mean, I went to the do on Friday night, yeah, and I said to Scott, you know, you got to show this stuff on YouTube. But were you there in 79, uh, 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 Neil, for that Jimmy Mann goal past Peter Shilton, or were you still in short trousers then? You're too kind, David. I'm 50 next year, but thanks. There's not too many people that call me young anymore. Um, <laughs> the uh, I think uh, I wasn't there for that game. Uh, my first game was the Joe Royal uh, four goals against Middlesbrough. Um, and that, that's what I've got to blame for nearly 45 years later still doing this. But, the, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I just echo what... Obviously, you were there at the time uh, with it and you had those personal relationships with them at the time. Or at least you knew of them during I knew that time. Them. I, I was, you know, I was in... Now, I mean, I pinch myself sometimes when I sit, you know, and I put the picture up on Twitter the other day. You know, there's me doing my Michael Parkinson bit. I'm sitting there interviewing Jeff Merrick, who's what? He's six years older than me. Yeah, I was just, I was just a fan uh, back then. You know, so uh, you know, it's what you call having a hobby and taking well, it to the next level. <laughs> I was, I was, I was seven when we got relegated. Yeah. So I think, you know, probably now I think you, you have images of it there. But at that age, when you're that young, you know, when I started four and a half first game and then seven, you think it's going to carry on forever, don't you? And then you have three relegations in three years. What is all this? What is it's all this? It's the mind, doesn't it? Um, yeah, Ian, it you, I know you were there for the Jimmy Mann goal, uh, seeing it and the, the commentary that they've laid over the uh, reincarnation of it from a better thing is John Champion, who I didn't realise was a City fan. As somebody said, he can't have been the original commentary because he was only uh, he was only 14 years old when it was done. But uh, it was a cracking goal. Nice little layback by Jerry Gow. And if it wasn't 40 yards, it th- certainly was 35, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was the height of it, Dave, as well, wasn't it? It wasn't a top corner, wasn't it? It was yeah. almost in the bottom corner. And, it, you know, lest we forget the keeper he put it past was probably England's finest ever goalkeeper, or are certainly yeah. arguably. You speak up a bit, Ian, you're just losing your sound a bit there, mate. Oh, right. Uh, can you hear me okay now? Yeah, you are. You're just fading a bit. That was all. It was just, just your position right. of your head, possibly. Okay, yeah, I mean, that was past England's, arguably England's finest ever goalkeeper, and he didn't smell it. Um 
so yeah, I mean, but but one thing, one point I'll make: if you look at the shooting ability of players, and I've made this point about Semenyo before, but I've been trawling some figures online and all the rest of it, and I cannot find a player in world football that I can remember who hits the ball harder with both feet. If you look at the goals at Fulham, I mean, if you're a goalkeeper, you're thinking, God, I'm glad I didn't get fingertips on that because they wouldn't, I wouldn't have any left. He, he will break your fingers. It, it, Who's he, that? Are you talking about Semenyo now? Or Jimmy Semen- Mann? Semenyo. I mean, we've had lots of players. I mean, Jimmy Jimmy Mann would cut you in half, but it was a right foot shot nearly always, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Alan Walsh had a hell of a dig on him, but yeah. left foot. Somebody reminded but me, this... sorry to interrupt you, and somebody reminded me, Peter Hooper. Yeah, not a name familiar to, not up there with the greats, but apparently he had a rocket shot on him as well. So you're right, we've had our fair share. Yeah, but we? not with both, not with both feet. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've seen two-footed players. Uh, Johnny Giles at Leeds was one that immediately springs to mind. You know, you left foot, right foot, all the same. Brilliant passer of the ball, but not shooting. And and the the power. I mean, Lorimer at Leeds, fantastic, real hammer in his right foot. The lad at Villa was it Hitzelberger or something. Had a bullet yeah. of a left foot, but not both feet. And and the the lad, um, you know that that's the the power of it. Because you only got to, got to look at the kid. He's got thighs like my waist, and God, he and he's strong. I mean, you you don't want to be going shoulder to shoulder with him anytime soon. Um, there we go. And and All that, right. that was um, great. And that that put me in mind. That put me when he hits a boy. It puts me in mind of Jimmy Man. That would be my yeah. Point. No, he's done. He's he's. I I spoke to Tins on Friday, and I said, "What's happened?" He's just said the word you used earlier in confidence. Um, Neil, this week we saw the announcement of a new. I won't say club sponsor, but a new Bristol sports sponsor across all uh, shirts, Hubu Fulfillment, which is a fast-growing company involved in the world of e-commerce and uh, product shifting. But uh, at the launch of that, our esteemed chairman felt that we were uh, underperforming. Yeah, uh, I think it was the word, or underachieving. I can't remember which role it was. There's a subtle difference there. And then uh, Nigel Pearson's uh, press conference prior to Middlesbrough, um, he said, I disagree with that comment, quite frankly. And he also described the policy pursued by the uh, directors or the board in recent years as uh, bonkers. That is a word that he used. Um, when you saw that and the fact that the uh, interview, the last 15 minutes of it that was posted, um, although Gregor's published the transcript of it. The last 15 minutes of it that was posted was, was, was edited out. Um, did you think that that uh, was signs of um, potential conflict or just the naivety of John and the uh, direct forthright uh, approach of a manager like Nigel Pearson? What did you think? Oh, he just made me laugh, David, when he spoke about John Lansdowne there. God, he's... <laughs> he's not the sharpest tool in, in the box, is he? <laughs> I mean, whenever he gets wheeled out to say something, and let's be honest, he probably flew in from Bermuda for the new sponsorship, didn't he? Okay, we better have the new... His dad probably told him, look, you're the chairman across Bristol Sport. You've got to be there. Do I have to be there, Dad? Yeah, you have to be there. And he might have to do a few interviews. In any other given walk, it would have been Gould doing the interviews, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah, and then he would have had right. a... And and then you would have had a common sense, but he's there. He's the chairman, right? Unfortunately, John, you've got to do a few interviews. 
I saw the transcript, first of all, the Radio Bristol thing. I know what he's trying to say. It's just <laughs> he, he doesn't have the words, does he? He doesn't oh, have the words. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he, goes, he goes round and round and he's just talking and you're like, oh, for goodness sake. And, and unfortunately, you've got someone like Pearson who, you know, does get a little bit defensive, in fairness. He's got history with the journalists and all the rest of it. And maybe he's not familiar with the fact that our chairman can't string a sentence together properly, and take and takes inference <laughs> with. Back now. <laughs> and well, he is though, isn't he? If you're listening, I mean, John, and it's not Taunton Red who's in the studio at the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. He, he the chair, Steve Lansdowne, John Lansdowne, is not involved with any other of Steve Lansdowne's businesses, and there's a reason for that, isn't there? <laughs> You know, there right. is a reason that he knows that if he put him in some sort of senior position in some sort of, you know, financial field or whatever he's involved in, that it's going to go Pete Tong, isn't it? So he knows, OK, we'll put him in Bristol Sport. We just have to wheel him out a couple of times and then you yeah. just hope for the best, don't you? If you yeah. were Steve Lansdowne, you're like, let's just hope for the best that John doesn't put his foot in it. So straight away, so Pearson has bitten and then he's come back and there's a reason why John Lansdowne hasn't come back is it because Stephen's put Steve Lansdowne's put him back in his yeah. box do you remember I, the I, uh, do you remember the Dick Emery uh, character back in the 70s and there was one got it wrong again dad <laughs> if you're yeah. old enough to remember that Ian what did what did what did you think you know I mean I think it was good that we put in a performance uh, yesterday because I know you said yesterday it could have gone one or two ways either the players sort of turn it on or they sort of down tools and don't support Pearson. I mean, I thought the commitment yesterday for the whole 90 minutes was there, but did you, were you concerned by this spat in the week? No, and do you know the comical thing about this? Uh, firstly, I think Neil needs to get off the fence on John Lansdowne and speak his mind. <laughs> um, yeah, speak up a bit. Speak up a bit, Ian, as well. You sound like you got your head down. At oh, right. Again. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, there you go. Yeah, as I said, I think both men are right. I think we are underachieving. If if we're a club and we've got an ambition of getting in the Premier League, okay, and we're nowhere near it, you were at the same dinner I was at when Richard Latham stood in for Nigel Pearson and answered some questions and talked about City and, and launched his book. Um, it, when he said, we haven't got hope in hell in, in getting to the Premier League or near it for three for, for in three years in another two after he's just been here a year uh, so I think in a way both men were right I've been saying what Pearson said about our transfer and our financial dealings for five or six years and, and being called uh, all kinds of names on social media in, and, uh, you know the well, kindest one being, the most popular one Ian but there we go well, <laughs> neg- ne- yeah well that's on, on what where you read that's one of the um, polite ones yeah, well, you're being called, you're being called negative, right? Well, no, you're not. It, it's the truth, and Pearson's just said it, and he told the truth. I don't agree. I, I don't disagree with what Pearson said after the Swansea game, and I don't agree with what he's. Uh, I don't disagree with what he said about our our financial strategy. It, as I've said for years and years, it could never work. The model is fatally flawed, and. You know, nice that Nigel and I uh, agree on that. Uh, as for John, 
John knows far more about, from conversations I've had with him, John knows far more about the playing side of football in terms of formations, how someone's played, etc., than Steve. Um, but uh, I, I think um, it, they, they, that they've got differing views, I don't think is healthy for the manager. But, um, but, you know, where we are in the table um, and how things have gone this season, whilst better than last season, so if, if you want to sp- uh, spin it as a positive, it's an improvement, it's still not good enough. Mm. So, uh, in a way, I think both of them, uh, both of them have, have made their points. Uh, yeah. uh, on the, but the only thing that I, I would disagree totally with John on is that had it not been for COVID, our strengths for a stretch being okay. And if we're trying to convince the EFL to allow us to um, include uh, imaginary transfers, uh, there was a thing. Well, it's like a business, it. isn't it? There's our sales pipeline. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, if you've got the money... You all know with sales, Ian, don't we? That it's not. Well, there was a there was a thing called physically in the well, bank. There was a there was a thing called revision revision eight or something in accountancy rules, and perhaps somebody brighter than me can remember it. And a couple of companies went bust. One of them was Connell, and it affected Carillion as well, where they were allowed to forward book revenue and uh, anticipated profit from jobs they genuinely have. Um, and and. It, it was it was outlawed uh, because they they were booking turnover in profit that actually never arrived. Yeah, um, and they were the darlings of the city for a while because they were making all this profit. But actually, when you look, you know, it's that old thing about if if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't true. Answer yeah. a question from Tim Brady that was directed at Neil: Would you prefer the guy at Reading or a Mel Morris type character? Um, it, it's not. It's not a polar choice. It's a little bit like when people say, well, if you don't want Nigel Pearson, you, you, you'll have Tony Pulis. Well, no, you won't. That's Facebook arguing. You, there are more choices than, than those two people, but you're right. And the, the interesting thing is people often talk about foreign owners uh, and the guys at Reading are foreign, but Mel Morris certainly wasn't. And he still owns the ground at Derby and the training ground. So yeah. it, it's not a choice. Um, I don't. Can I just? I just approach a choice the between Tim, the two. Yeah, Neil. Tim, go on. Yeah. Tim, Tim's point, absolutely fine on that. Tim's point that he's put on the thing. Would I prefer Mel Morris or John? John Lansdowne isn't a, isn't an owner, is he? I mean, let's be honest. He's a nominal figurehead in in the club. He turns up and designs a, a hundred twenty five year strip. Or he, it, when we appoint a new manager, he'll come on and say he's a wonderful human being. You know, I think realistically, no, I think, John, I think John, John Lansdowne is not the owner of the club. Steve Lansdowne is the owner of the club. And yeah, there's a reason why be. John Lansdowne is there, because Steve yeah, wants yeah, to pass on the be, legacy. Yeah. Sorry? Yeah, but he will. He will be. John will own the club. As soon as Steve, God bless, it's not for a long time, but as soon as Steve pops his clogs, John will own the club. Well, him, him and his mum. Well, if, I, well, well, yeah. well. It's probably for another podcast, but will the land stand still be there after the sporting quarter's been built? I mean, is that their legacy? The sporting quarter gets built, 
and then they look to move away or they look they're looking for other investments come well, in aren't they that. we've heard that for about we've heard that for about a year i want to move on to a few things so it's getting towards the hour mark um jimbo uh, appreciate your comment here as as well. This is why I like the podcast. Some strong opinions about important things. I don't want to listen to another podcast earnestly discussing whether Wyman was a six point seven or uh, a six point eight. I think the thing is, is that you know that whole sponsorship thing. You know, if this had been eighteen months ago, you'd have had Ashton with his face all over it. With the benefit of hindsight, it should have been um, uh, uh, um, Richard Gould maybe launching it, and I think. John Lansdowne was spoken to in the context of Bristol Sport. And if you're asked a question about Bristol City, he just expressed a fan's view, which is what he said. And as yeah. Tim's rightly pointed out that, you know, Steve got involved with the club. Thank you because of John's love of Bristol City. So, you know, he probably said some of what we were uh, thinking uh, ourselves. Um Let's uh, look at a few things and briefly look forward to the Coventry game. And then I want to talk about the Ashton Gate 8, what I think they could do so, so everybody who now knows everything about it can can, can participate. But, uh, um, you know, the summer, it's all going to be how many of Semenyo, um, Masengo and Scott we can hang on to, whether all three will go. Uh, and if you look at potential sell-ons, yeah, if you look at, I did a quick calculation based on a slightly understated version of figures spoken about from Messrs. Brownhill, uh, Webster, and Kelly. Yeah, Brownhill, Webster, and Kelly. Brownhill, he scored yesterday. It's his first goal for Burnley, but they're probably going to go down. Uh, Kelly may go up, may not. Webster's being tipped as future England. City could get. 20%, they're 20% sell-on if they've got that for the numbers that are being talked about for those players. Could be another seven and a half million quid. All right? So work, work that one out uh, if you can. Neil, you first. Um, do you think we're likely to retain any of them? And do you think that if we do get sell-ons, that's going to... Uh, um, mitigate still further uh, any COVID allowances and stuff like that so that the FFP problem isn't quite as acute as maybe it seemed prior to the emergence of, uh, should we say, Scott and uh, uh, Semenyo in particular. So are we talking, David, about the players that are out of contracts this summer or, and we've got options on or are we talking, or well, are you talking, talking about, about somebody the coming on? along? Are we going to turn around? I mean, if you look at – look, Brownhill could go for 15 million, yeah? I, Webster, I think – I do. sorry, David, go on. No, Brownhill – sorry, and I'm talking about players. I'm talking about sell-ons first. Brownhill goes for 15 yeah. million, yeah, because he's, he's proven there was a little uh, little video of him bossing Liverpool the other week he scored yesterday he won't want to drop down to the championship but Brownhill you know with two premiership seasons under his belt you know and still quite a young player 15 million all right let's call it 12 let's call it 12 Webster goes for 45 million and Kelly goes for 25 million so that sort of money is out there so what's that 70 82 20% sell-on clause allowing for, um, you know, just take, yeah. we get an extra 7 million quid of Brucey bonus money for players. I've got to love your positivity there, David. I mean, yeah. if, if we get one of them, brilliant. 
I think we have to go into the summer on the basis of the fact that none of them are going to move. You ca- you can't like Ian just was talking quite oh, rightly right. about right, you know with the, with, with the account. So right, how many? So... <laughs> how many? <laughs> yeah, I know it's like guarantee. How many of our three young starlets? And I don't want to talk about players out of contract because we've sort of done that conversation to death. Yeah. How many of our three young starlets do you think will line up on the first Saturday? In August, assuming we I think finish it, the season strongly, which helps boost season tickets, which is another thing okay. to talk about in a later edition. How well, many of them are going to be here first week of August? Well, I don't think Scott's going. I think Scott would, um, anybody looking at Scott would see huge potential. Of course, England under 19 player. and But I think anybody looking at him, they know he's on a long-term contract with us and they'd probably be waiting for him just to have another season. Semenyo is displaying at the moment everything that a manager would want, whether it be in the Premier League or the upper echelons of the Championship. They know he's got a year left and then he's got an option year. So the moment Semenyo does not sign a contract with us in the summer, I would say every single manager, either lower league, lower Premiership or upper Championship, will be on alert with regards to Semenyo not signing a new contract with us. Han Noah... I think of the three, I think it's more likely that Han Noah wouldn't be with us next season. Again, he's got a year left. I don't think we've got an option on it. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. But I think with Han Noah in that position, with James coming back, potentially, we've probably got more cover, haven't we? So it's kind of, you've got you've got a star striker, a really promising youngster, and a centre midfielder who... Let's not forget, it's still only got two assists for the club and never actually scored. Now, I like Han Noah. I do like him, and he puts himself about. But if you're looking at players that we could afford to leave the club, you'd have to say it was Han Noah, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, 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 I probably would agree. I probably would agree with that because you know there's other youngsters coming through and what have you, and he's done his stuff. He's more likely to go abroad, I think, maybe than in this country. Ian. What do you think? Forget what I was saying about sell-ons because that's sort of going down that path of future income and there's no guarantees. What we do know is that if we finish the season strongly, then our three youngsters are their stock is going up. You know, that's you can see Semenyo's probably doubled in value in three months, triple, quadrupled in value, yeah, because he's put finishing what was it six, seven goals and six assists in his last ten games, I think. So who's going to be here next season, Ian? Just those three. Hello. You still that? You're still there, Neil, aren't you? Yeah. I'm, I'm still. still sorry, Dave. I'm here. I was on. I was on mute. Um, All right. I yeah, would which say. Of those three are still going to be here. Yeah, Masengo won't be here. Uh, he might be here in August because the transfer uh, window doesn't close until uh, the end of August, 1st of September, isn't it? So yeah. he might still be here then, but he'll be gone uh, because he won't sign a new contract. Uh, Scott and Semenyo will be here, barring an exception offer. So if you look at the clubs that are said to be interested, Everton, Leicester, Celtic, uh, first of all, if a Premier League comes in, Celtic are out the picture. Um, they, I, if I was um, Richard Gould, uh, I'd say, right, you're interested. 
we know that we've got him under contract for at least another two years. Uh, if you want him, give us 25 million. Do you think Scott's, um, you were talking about Scott there, weren't you? Yes, is that right? No, I was talking about Semenya. How old Semenya now, Ian? 24. All right. So 22. 22. 22. 22. All right. Would you say, because so, Scott's still only, would you say, Ian, sorry, would you say, Scott, is there a feasibility that a Premier League club could come in and then loan him back to us for a year? And yeah, that would be I was going to, I mean, Alex Scott is under contract until 2025. Yeah. So along with Eamon Benarus, who I was lucky enough to meet uh, his, uh, his dad, Kareem, uh, yesterday at Ashton Gate. And what a nice fellow he is. Um, and he was telling me about his son. He's, and I said, you should, you're obviously very proud of him. And he said, yeah. And he said, he's got another two kids. Are they interested in sport? And he said, no, they're not. They're both at university um, and doing good degrees. And uh, But Eamon wanted to play football. Um and by the way, uh, you know, they often say, well, the footballers, you know, they, their brains are in their feet. This kid's got six A's and five A stars. Uh, so, um, yeah, obviously very, very bright, very bright lad. And I said, well, he went up 50% in my estimation when he volleyed that bloke's boot off the field. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think um, uh, with Scotty, once again, we cannot, and let's be clear on this, and people won't like it, so, but hard luck. Um, we cannot turn down uh, an unbelievable offer. You know, and by that, I mean, you're, you're, you're 20, 25, 25 millions. No. And I'd be saying, I want that, uh, most of it in cash now, please. I don't want any of these, oh, we'll give you 25 million. It's 5 million yeah. a year for five years. I'm not having that. You, you want it, you pay the money because he's going to be that good. And, and we'll have sensible add-ons, please. And oh, by the way, here's the rub. We'd like to loan him back next season for one more season. Now, I, th- I think that would be great for the players. I think it's different yeah. for Ham because he, I, I think he's more likely um, to go abroad, either France, or G- France Germany, Spain, something yeah. like that. Uh, but the other two lads, and, and lest, lest we forget, none of them are Bristolians. Although, although Scotty's been here as a young man and he, he really likes the place. Um, yeah. And lots of people do. Uh, but yeah. I, I would, I, that's, that's my most likely no. scenario. Barring that's... massive offers, Semenyo and, um, Semenyo and Scott will still be here. But I don't think well, that will. Well, that'll, be, that'll, I, be, I great. that'll be a great boost for season ticket holders because I think, I think yeah. you know, people will, <clears throat> excuse me, um, look at what they're going to spend on next season uh it will be dependent on those you know if they suddenly feel our best assets have been sold but as you rightly say and uh, you can't turn down i'd say anything above 15 million for any three of them with with the decent sell-on and season tickets it would be interesting it's probably in the next month they'll start launching early bird things but although there was twenty thousand in the crowd yesterday um i think it was two thousand came down from borough I thought there were quite a lot of, uh, I'll call it red seats that you could see showing through from the, uh, in the South stand in particular, and you guys over in the, in the Dolmen, I don't know what the upper, uh, lands down, uh, the upper lands down look like, but, um, you know, uh, so, so, well, it's, it's, it's half term next week. So I would imagine there's quite a lot of families that have gone away or people that have gone away this weekend. 
Yeah, true. So no, I think true. that probably had an impact. And throughout the course of the season, the attendance figures, you, you look at it and a lot of people have kept away from football or large crowd gatherings for a lot of reasons, haven't they? Yeah. I'm sure those yeah. figures don't relate to actually bums on seats at yeah, the end no of the true. day. But... All right, a couple, couple of things to... Uh, well, say, say three more things I want to cover very briefly. Um, Man City uh, surprisingly lost to... Uh, the inconsistent uh, Tottenham Hotspur yesterday. I mean, one almost one-word answers, really, from each of you guys. Uh, you first, uh, Neil. Um, Liverpool still very much in the title hunt, yes or no? Yes. Good. Ian? Is that your Liverpool? one word for you? Yeah, one word, yes. <laughs> Liverpool, Ian, one word, if you can manage that. Yes. Yeah, good. Um, um, over the other side of Bristol... Um, you know, Joey Barton, he has his uh, critics, but uh think Rovers might make a late search for the playoff, Neil? Oh, uh, yes. Well, yeah. it's, it grates me to say that because yeah. I was loving the start of the season. I was loving it. But <laughs> League, League 2 is an awful standard. I've got friends that are gas season ticket holders and they say League 2 is just awful. And he's put a side together, hasn't he? And that Elliot Anderson obviously has made a difference. So... Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, yeah. Ian, your side? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you're saying about League Two football being standard. Ian and I both watched snippets of uh, Peterborough versus Reading this week, and Jesus, you know, that was really, really bad. Um, none of us were uh, uh, out-and-out Lee Johnson fans, despite him giving us uh, a couple of decent seasons, which both of them fell away badly, but some obviously champagne moments there. Sunderland have uh, done remarkably well uh, since he left with uh, no wins, one draw and uh, three defeats. Um, in You first, Neil. Do you think uh, Lee Johnson uh, will be back in management with either Reading or Bradford before the end of March or with any club before the end of March? Take that as a no, then, Ian. <laughs> I think I think it's likely because if you look at, at purely his record at Sunderland, uh, he was unlucky to lose his job. Yeah, you know, for, take all the personalities out of it. Um, but yeah, if you look at, I told what do you have a fifty percent win rate there. He did fifty-one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fifty-one percent win rate. So yeah, he was unlucky to lose. He, he was unlucky to lose his job there. Um, I don't think he was he was that popular. Uh, with the fans, but Sunderland fans, it, you're you're talking about an expectation that they will get promoted, and I'm not yeah. just talking about oh we you know it'd be great if we could get to the playoffs. They they absolutely demand promotion from that division because they've got an, a young, ambitious owner with lots of money. Now, how much he can actually put into the club, or he's allowed to put into the club, I don't know. And then you've got that thing about League One, and, and you know we've had, got a couple of players at our club who many people would deem surplus to requirements in Casey Palmer and Naki Wells who, who wouldn't who wouldn't move down. No. Uh, so no. it is difficult, even if you're paying really strong money, which under the, the terms of their version of financial fair play, you're not allowed to. Um, it is very difficult to get um, to get the right yeah. uh, the right players in, but it can be done. I mean, I don't know why Sunderland, based on track record, won't they go for somebody like Steve Cottrell? Who's who's been there, seen it, and well, Sunderland. It. Sunderland have got. Have they got Alex Neil now, or is nothing being? Alex Neil. Yeah. No, I, I, well, I think Neil, I, are you are you still you're still there, Neil, aren't you? Yeah. 
Who? It looks like Neil's looks like Neil's gone, Dave. He obviously... Yeah, he's still connected on here. Probably, uh, <laughs> probably John Landstad sent somebody around to bump him off. All right, yeah, Ian, it's just right. it's just you and me still then. Um, okay. Coventry Tuesday night. Uh, they're the uh, extra time specialists. Uh, I heard yesterday that they scored their eighth goal, which beat uh, already relegated in my mind, Barnsley. Eighth goal in yeah. 90 plus minutes. Be nice to get back-to-back wins, wouldn't it? Yeah, for the first time this season. Yeah, and, how, and do they, think, how do you think it'll they, go Tuesday? Well, they play um, a very similar um, formation to us or, or, or the one we have been playing, which is the 3-4-1-2. So we're, we're absolutely going to match up with them. They're a possession-based team. Uh, they play uh, with this box midfield. Uh, they've got Goikris and Waghorn up front. O'Hare is a danger player playing in the, the Andy Vyman role, if you want to call it that. The wingbacks are useful in Kane and Matson as well. Um, but I think looking at their defence, uh, particularly McFadzian, we don't want to be going long to Chris Martin. What we want to do is be going down the channels to Semenyo and get environment past the ball. So I think it'd be, um, I'll be there on um, Tuesday evening. Uh, I think that, that it's a great opportunity to take us up to up to 43 points. And I think it's great for the confidence of the club. And then we've then got um, some difficult yeah. away games. So, you know, I, I, well, let's face it, the way the way we're playing away from home, well, I don't want to put any, everybody on a downer, but every away game's looking difficult. Well, if we can um, if we can start yeah, playing I, with I think... that uh, start playing with that confidence. I'm gonna give Neil one last chance. Are you still with us, Neil, or have you gone? Hello, Neil. No, he's definitely gone. Ian, I I was saying about yeah. the Ashton Gate eight and uh, you know, for younger generation fans, probably in the last couple of weeks, month maybe, they've got a greater appreciation uh, for it. And um, I think, as Neil started to say at the beginning of uh, the podcast, that there's still something we can do for them. And I think I can remember back in 1982, they had a friendly, wait for this, it was Southampton versus Ipswich at Ashton Gate. And all proceeds going to um, the Ashton Gate 8. And I think about 5,000 people showed up or something like that. And now back in the day, Mm -hmm. Ipswich and Southampton were two you call them top half Premier League teams. Don't know what your view is on this, Ian, and anybody who's listening, but I think pre-season, this season, if we got a friendly at Ashton Gate against a club like a West Ham, maybe, where you got Moisey and Rob Newman connection there, or a um, uh, doesn't even have to be a massive club, yeah, West Ham or a Celtic or maybe a top international side. But that if people charged 20 quid and you knew that 10 quid of that was going to go to the um, Ashton Gate 8, so if you've got 10,000 people there, they get 100 grand between them, 12 and a half grand each. They're all in their 70s now. I think that would be a tremendous gesture. And it's not what 12 and a half grand was that some of them gave up. 40 years ago do you think that would be a good gesture where fans can contribute in a meaningful way the club will get all the benefit of a 10,000 crowd a pre-season friendly with off the field five you could even do it at 15 quid five quid to cover policing costs do you think 
I mean, that's a gesture that I think would give them something rather than the little mementos and the reception that they got yesterday because they're not rich men. And in your mid seventies, somebody gives you twelve and a half. Okay, Julian Marshall's in his sixties. Somebody gives you twelve and a half thousand quid, right? It's not life changing, far from it. But I think that's a reasonable thing to aim for. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, but why not give them all the proceeds, all the uh, proceeds from it? Well, because I'm knowing how Bristol City would think with that. Because yeah, I mean, look, the club are at the moment. Bristol City haven't got any money. Bristol City have never yeah. had any money. Right, it's Steve Lansdowne is 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 the the very very rich man, okay. So our club are, are skin. If it wasn't for, you know, some people say, well, arguably Steve Lansdowne has presided over the club in that period, um, but Steve Lansdowne has pumped over two hundred million yeah. into the club, um, and from all um, from everything I read in here. He's going to have to go on doing that to a greater or lesser degree because even with the 20,000 crowds and all the rest of it and 14,000 as we have now season ticket holders, um, we won't generate enough capital without massive player sales uh, as the only other way. Um, uh, It's the only only area I can see it. But I would, even with the club's uh, parlous financial Situation, I would give all the money um, to the Ashton Gate Eight, and instead of as you worked out twelve and a half thousand, give them twenty five grand a piece. And I know that that would uh, go down some way into uh, to compensating them for what they did, because they're responsible for the very existence of this yeah. football club. Otherwise, we we could have be we could have just gone out of business. We could be a, we could have been a Bradford Park Avenue or a Berry. I don't an think. Yeah. I don't think it can't happen now. This is my point with people. Don't think that it just can't happen um, because it can. And, and, and we need to be very, very careful um, around the finances, around money, which is why I'm, I'm, you know, I always try and tell the truth. Uh, and and, and I, for me, I can't see that we can turn down that much in debt, and it's not. I just somebody said the other day, "Well, we're thirty-eight million in debt, but it's hundred. It's not thirty. That's what we lost know, last year. No, thirty-eight million was so, the loss. That's not the debt. So, Absolutely right, Ian. Um, that's P and L. The debt's hundred million. So, so let's. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't agree with this debt analogy, though. I mean, what what happens is that Steve Lansdowne, Ian, he turns the debt into into shares. So he yeah. reconverts in the same way like uh, the mad shake at gas. When they say he's cleared the debts, what, what he actually does is he, he reconverts the debt into, into shares. So anybody coming in has to buy out his shares. So when people say we're in debt too, we are in debt. Well, technically we're not. I mean, he's just increasing his shareholding in regards to it. What, what we have problems with is the FFP which is a completely different thing, working with inside the financial confines of the FFP, which is obviously why Richard Gould is trying to pressurise people to actually do it, because you're quite right, Ian, in the sense that we we can't generate enough money as a club to make the FFP work for us. Our overheads, our operating costs at Ashton Gate are twice 
what clubs of a similar size are. For some bizarre reason, every year there's a £25 million operating cost against Ashton Gate. Well, that's not going away. So we can't ever, you know, nobody's actually come out and said why the operating costs are so large. I know we've we've saved some money on it, but we're not, as a, as a company, we're wholly unsustainable. You're 100% right without Lansdowne's money. But he's not yeah. losing money on this. He's, he's turning it into shares, and anybody who buys the club is going to have to buy him out. Well, the shares are in there because they're £1 shares, but they're £1 shares, and there's a massive, great big thing on share premium account. And therefore, when you value the club, do you value it? Because the amount of debt that he's converted into shares wouldn't be reflected, and I stand corrected in all this, if somebody bought the club. Because, you know, you could probably buy Bristol City for 50 million quid if you wrote, if Steve wrote off his investment in. Um, covering losses i mean he's got the infrastructure and as we've said on more than once you know you could have a situation i think you, you said at the beginning neil that when he's done the sporting quarter he's created the legacy for the you know for the infrastructure not for the club uh, itself but uh, and what we did say when you uh, had your audio cut out to neil and i think a couple of people have said um Chris Red has said on here, agree with me here, you know, the, the, the guy should be financially rewarded. The club aren't going to do it, but I said, Neil, mm. next season, pre-season, we've got a lot of connections with some good clubs, you know, Rob Newman at West Ham with Moisey, a decent pre-season friendly against a top premiership or international club. And we could say, show your appreciation for the Ashton Gate 8. It's going to be, I, I said 20 quid, 10 quid to the players, Right, you could easily raise enough to give those players twenty grand each. Ian said, "Why not the whole ticket price? Let the club pick up the the revenue from the bars mm. and what have you." But I think now that more people have been made aware of uh, the Ashton Gate Eight in the past couple of months in the younger generation, that next season, top preseason friendly, fifteen thousand people, you know, and fifteen quid of whatever the ticket price was, you know was going to go to the Ashton Gate 8. That would make a hell of a difference to those guys. I, th- I think I it's a fantastic, fantastic well, idea. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic idea. I think I think ultimately the last few years are abject performances in, in various cup competitions in the last three or four years meant that we haven't had those big clubs visit... Um, yeah. You know Ashton Gate, and the and the young people will turn out for that. You know, but West Ham's a good shout with Moisey, isn't it? I think. Actually. Well, and, and Rob Newman, Rob shout. was there on Friday night. I think he was even at the game yesterday. But you know, that's that's you know, fifteen thousand people, and you knew it's not like it's mm. just a friendly, but all the youngsters mm. and everybody that. You know, if I say we're we're at an age where we can remember it, but uh, you know, if you're under 30 well you weren't even born then yeah and it's just mm. what your dad or your uncle said to you but i think that would be uh, uh, a tremendous uh, gesture but uh, but there we go guys look it's been good our little uh, our little trio uh, today uh, we'll all be at the game on wednesday is it wet tuesday night we'll all be at the game tuesday, tuesday night tuesday. um we'll do the pod the morning after the night before so hopefully we'll be celebrating back to back uh, wins. Ian and Neil, thank you. I think we've had a very, very balanced uh, debate. So, uh, and to all the listeners who've joined in this morning as well, thanks for all your comments. Being a great morning. 
All the best then, lads. Thanks, Bye bye. Cheers, Dan. I heard a robin this morning. Sorry about that, Dave. I'm feeling happy today. That's all right. Gonna put my cares in a whistle. Blow them all away. What if I've been unlucky? Really, I ain't got a thing. There's a time I always feel happy. As happy as a king. When the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along. Along. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts throbbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up. Wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up. Get up. Get out of bed. Cheer up. Cheer up. The sun is red. Live. Love. Laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When Rivers Robbins are bubba bobbing along. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.